Welcome to the Joma Preventative Health Podcast, hosted by the Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association. We provide you with up-to-date information on health topics geared towards the Orthodox Jewish community. This podcast content is provided for informational purposes only and is not intended as medical advice or as a substitute for the medical advice of a physician. Hi, my name is Elisa Minkin. I am a general pediatrician and the co-chair of the JOMA Jewish Orthodox Women's Medical Association Preventative Health Committee. And I'm here tonight with Elisa Beer. Elisa Beer is a registered dietitian and a certified dietitian nutritionist with an advanced degrees in nutrition. Elisa has a private practice in Cedarhurst, but has many clients throughout the world whom she works with via phone. And I'll give you that phone number several times. It's it's really cool. Um, Aliza, and thank you so much for joining me tonight. Thank you so much for having me. It's really cool that you do this by phone too. And it doesn't like you don't have to go in person. And that phone number is 516-984-3333. That's four threes. Aliza treats children, adolescents, and adults for a variety of issues, including but not limited to weight loss, diabetes, gestational diabetes, high cholesterol, celiac disease, food allergies, and various gastrointestinal issues, including Crohn's and irritable bowel syndrome. Aliza specializes in weight loss and has developed an innovative program that is personalized to each client in order to maximize weight loss while maintaining a balanced and sustainable diet. Aliza has a website, alizabeer.com, A-L-I-Z-A-B-E-E-R.com. And again, the phone number 516-984-3333. And you can also, actually a very good way is to reach her by email, alizabeer at gmail.com. So again, thanks so much for doing this with me. My pleasure. And I want to start, thank you. And I want to start with very basic questions, which is what kind of training did you get to become a nutritionist? What's the difference in degrees nutritionists have and what does that mean? Okay, thank you so much for inviting me. And that is a great question, Elisa. So um, actually, there is no legal definition for nutritionist. Anyone could call themselves a nutritionist, your barber, your gardener, anyone who wants to could just say that they're a nutritionist and there's no legal definition. I am a registered dietitian, that there are requirements to be a registered dietitian, um, including having a BA and taking a whole slew of courses it's usually most of the sciences and nutrition and um, physical education classes, plus an internship that's divided. It's usually about nine months to a year. It's divided into clinical and food service and um, community. And uh, then the RD exam, which would be similar to, let's say, someone taking a CPA exam. And then when all of those requirements are met and the exam passed, then that person is a registered dietitian. In addition to that, I do have a master's degree in nutrition. You don't have to have that Mm -hmm. to be a registered dietitian, but I, you know, continued on with my education and, um, and that's really the difference. So if you're seeking nutrition advice, you want to go to a registered dietitian, uh, no hospital or nursing home or school or any kind of facility will hire anyone that's not a registered dietitian. Right. And I, as a general pediatrician, I do make a lot of referrals to nutritionists. And um, I also, I choose the ones with the RD degree for that reason, for that background. Um, I will also say um, that I think that a lot of people don't have realistic expectations of primary care 
providers today. Um, mm -hmm. We're busy. Our time is short. And this is complicated stuff. I used to start with, oh, I would talk, you know, give them these little tips. And mm -hmm. it was really, you know, almost useless. I mean, sometimes, you know, a few tips can be helpful, but it, it really can take um, a lot of work and, and also to tailor it to the individual person in their family. Right. So I, I customize, believe. you know, everyone has different needs, um, uh, different health issues on different medications and, you know, different likes and dislikes and lifestyle. So it really has to be customized for each person. There's no one size fits all. Right. And how many sessions do they usually come from? And I presume that that would vary. Right. It varies on uh, the issue. If it's weight loss, it really also, again, varies. I have people that need to lose 10 pounds. I have someone, you know, that might need to lose 100 pounds. So, mm. um, you know, usually with weight loss, I encourage them to come once a week, at least for the first four, six weeks, you know, mm -hmm. until they kind of got their groove and, and, and are comfortable and doing well in the program. And then we could, you know, um, go to every other week if they don't need me as a policeman, you know, all the time. But um, it's nice to have that accountability when someone's mm -hmm. in a weight loss program, it, the accountability is key. If someone is coming for, you know, some kind of GI issue that's resolved, you know, quickly, they may not need more than a couple of sessions. It really varies. And also who, who should be, who should see a nutritionist and why? Um, anyone for, for really any reason, whether it's weight loss or possibly weight gain, um, someone who is just looking to eat a little bit healthier, mm -hmm. um, someone who's having um, issues. PCOS is also a big thing now. I see a lot of uh, young girls with the PCOS issues or any of the really? GI issues that you mentioned. A PCOS is um, polycystic ovarian syndrome. Mm -hmm. and how, so, how is that related to diet? So how does that, because they're usually insulin resistant and mm -hmm. um, they have trouble mm -hmm. metabolizing the carbs and sugar. So I have to uh, almost, almost treat them like a diabetic. Um, many of them are on metformin because a, a lot of them do have um, higher uh, blood sugars and any of the GI issues like IBS or Crohn's or celiac, which has, you know, exploded the population of the celiac um, kids and adults alike. And, um, you know, any, for any reason, there's no, you know, there's no reason why not to see a nutritionist if you have any kind of, you know, food or diet or GI issue or diabetic also. Many do, you, diabetics. do you work with physicians at all? Do they ever call you? Yes, yes, yes. Physician, physicians refer all the time. And I have many physicians as clients. Interesting. Many. Yeah. That's a high recommendation. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes. And I've had, you know, I've had a lot of gestational diabetics as well. And, you know, sometimes when they're OBGYN, see how well they do, they come to me themselves. Interesting. So, uh, yeah. So it's nice. Yeah. Interesting. Okay, I'm going to ask you my $100 million question. Why is it so hard not just to lose weight, but to keep it off? Okay, so that is the $100 million question. <laughs> um, I believe it's because people are treating the diet as a diet, mm -hmm. as a temporary situation when it really needs to be made a way of life. Because any diet's going to work if you stick to it, but once you revert back to your bad old habits, you're going to gain back the weight. It's very simple. So if you don't internalize and change your lifestyle and your mindset, you're just going to regain the weight. So you've got, you've got to make it a way of life. Mm -hmm. that's, um, that's, that's the main reason why people uh, gain back the weight. And, right, and, and I actually um, asked to interview you because I've noticed that you are um, very balanced. Your approach is very balanced. It's very realistic. 
But I, I do see the, all of these diets, these fad diets, and I really would like to know your opinion on some of the popular fad diets. Right. Okay. So that, you know, a fad diet is just that it's a fad and it will, it will get you to your goal. You know, if you follow the keto or if you follow, um, let's say intermittent fasting, which I've utilized as well, mm -hmm. some of my clients that kind of hit a wall or a plateau, uh, it will get you to where you need to be, but you cannot live like that. It's not sustainable. So I want someone, you know, my program, I try to make it as realistic as possible that you should be able to eat in a restaurant, eat at a wedding, manage, you know, Shabbos, which is, we'll discuss later on. That's a whole nother topic. Um, that it should be realistic, that you shouldn't feel deprived and you shouldn't, and you should feel normal. Mm -hmm. So you have to make it a way of life. And that's why the fad diets are, are uh, you know, are a quick fix. But again, you know, people usually gain back the weight. Sometimes they're not so healthy. Sometimes they're too low in calories or too low in carbs. And then there are issues, um, health issues. Sometimes they, um, they, uh, if you lose a lot of weight quickly, it could cause gallstones. Some people have lost their gallbladders. Then after that, sometimes people have a, a hard time metabolizing the carbs. If let's say they're on a very low carb diet, like on the keto, they're going to gain back the weight quickly if they start eating carbs again. The body is no longer accustomed to metabolizing mm. these carbs. That's just an example. Uh, yeah, so that's the you know that's my take on the fad diets. You really just you you want to try to do something that you can live on. Mm -hmm. And I would love if you could just talk for just a minute about the concept of yo-yo dieting. Oh, okay, that's that is a good concept. Every time somebody yo-yos, it gets harder to lose the weight. Um, and it's not, it's not healthy for your body and your organs to yo-yo to like that. I mean, you know, to fluctuate several pounds, but not to, there are people that have come to me that have told me they have gained and lost a hundred pounds several times over right. their lifetime, which is really hard on the body. Um, and every time they're going to do it, the body gets, you know, is trying to fight it and, and gets a little smarter and, and it's not going to be as accommodating and they're not going to lose as well every single time they do that. Right, right. Besides what are what are some? I'm sorry. But besides the stress that you're putting on the organs, right, with the yoga. right, right, it can make it harder to lose weight. Not only are you back to the same place, you're actually behind behind where you were. So it's mm -hmm. so important to have a diet that even if you're doing, like you said, you talked about intermittent fasting or keto, it's possible to do that diet under proper supervision for a short period of time. But then you would need help with some kind of transitional diet that you could sustain. So right. I, I definitely have seen- like You need to transition from that. If, if sometimes, let's say we need to utilize the keto or intermittent fasting or something else um, to get you to where, you know, a little bit further or, or it's important to get you down more in a shorter period of time, but then you have to transition into a healthy kind of clean lifestyle, not to just revert back to the way you had been eating previously before the fad diet. Right, right. You could actually utilize these fad diets under supervision to lose, yeah. and some people might need, might actually medically need to lose. Right. I mean, I've had people ask me about juicing as well. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody is, let's say, making a simcha and has got to get themselves into that dress, then I say, mm -hmm. then fine, then juice for three days. You'll lose, you know, six pounds. You'll get into the dress. As soon as you eat, you're going to gain back the weight. But if you need that band-aid, you know, that emergency, then, you know, do it. But then, but then you've got to, you have to understand that as soon as you eat, you're going to gain back the weight, unless you really use that as a kind of a jumping off, like, you know, to get you into a healthier 
way of life, but you cannot, um, you can't live like that. Right. And it's another reason why you should be doing this kind of dieting under supervision. Like I did have a patient who went on keto diet on his own and lost all this weight and had no intention. He didn't know where to go from there because he did it all on his own. Right. And that's not a sustainable diet, at least for the vast majority of people. And we do not have evidence that it's safe, at least for the long term. So that was a I have concern. Many, and I have many patients that have come to me post- um, uh, you know, bi uh, stomach bypass or the band, mm -hmm. you know, and very often, again, if they don't, they'll lose a lot of weight, but if they don't change their lifestyle, very often they gain back quite a bit of the weight. Right. You're so back to the yo-yo. Yeah. So I've had, I've had a lot of them come to me to kind of learn to eat healthier. They're losing mm. a lot of weight because they're hardly eating afterwards and they're, and they're vomiting a lot. So, um, you know, that's why they're losing so much weight because they're actually consuming very little. Mm -hmm. But they've got to learn how to eat healthy and also learn how to feed themselves, you know, and able to keep the food down properly. Right, because even after gastric bypass surgeries, people do often regain weight. Yes. And yeah. It's the same concept all over again. There's the quick fix and the slow fix. Right. So <laughs> slow, slow and steady wins the race. Exactly. Exactly. Just um, what is juicing? I'm sorry, but I don't even know what juicing is. <laughs> they're really buying. I could I couldn't do it even for one day. They're buying um, or they're taking vegetables. It's mostly vegetables, some fruit, and just drinking the juice and not eating any food. Mm -hmm. Besides that, it's not you know healthy in this. Just so they can't sustain that, obviously. Oh. Um, and you're not getting in all the all the nutrients that your body needs. Um, yeah, that's what it is essentially. Yeah, that cannot possibly be sustainable. I'm just thinking that must be high in sugar. I mean, there's yeah, a concept of juice. That's is, kind of what they're living on, just that sugar. I mean, and nothing else. Like, no I guess, right, I guess they're losing weight not because it, it's relatively high in sugar, but because it's, it's low in calories. Restrictive calories, exactly. Restrictive calories. You restrict your calories, you, you will lose weight. Absolutely. <laughs> the question is, how do you keep it off? And you have to be realistic for that. So speaking of realistic, I would love to talk about some common diet sabotages and how we can avoid them because you can start with the best of intentions right. and fall badly. So Absolutely. Okay. So, you know, one of the, one of my big mottos is to never leave the house, not prepared for the day. Mm -hmm. Because when someone is not prepared and, you know, if they, if they don't have access to food, let's say during the day and they don't bring their food, then what's easy and accessible, you know, bagels and pretzels and protein bars that are full of sugar, then most of them are like candy bars. So that's why you always want to be prepared either with the food or with a really good plan of where you could pick up your food. Mm -hmm. That's important. Um, then there are people that are also skipping meals. You know, they, they want to save their, they want to stay going out for dinner. So they're not going to eat breakfast or lunch because they're going to go out for dinner. They're going to save all their calories for later on. But what's wrong with that? That's, <laughs> what's wrong with that is that they, if you're not going to eat all day long, your body's got to keep you alive. Whether mm -hmm. you eat it or you don't, it has its jobs to do. If you don't feed it for so many hours, it's going to slow itself down and cut corners to try to be, you know, more cost efficient here because you're not, you're not giving it any energy. And then when you finally give yourself this big meal, you're going to give a slow metabolism. Now this big meal, your body doesn't need so many calories in one sitting. It's going to take whatever it needs for the moment. And the rest, it's going to kind of not just store as fat, but kind of hoard it. You made it a little bit nervous that you didn't eat properly all day long. So it's going to hoard this fat just in case you can't feed it again for another 24 hours. It's called starvation mode. So wait, I'm a little confused. 
So people do intermittent fasting. We talked about that before as a way that right, so people- That's not going, you know, a whole day. Intermittent fasting basically is that you can eat in for an eight hour window mm -hmm. and it's having your body fast for 16 hours. There is a lot of research that there is merit to, for the body to fast for 14 hours. Let's mm -hmm. say overnight for 14 hours. They say it does help the body kind of rejuvenate itself, give, gives itself time to address other issues and not be busy with digestion and, you know, be able to, to work and do other things and as well. Um, so that's not, you know, intermittent fasting, you're not fasting all day. You're fat, you're, you can eat for eight hours. What it's, what it's doing essentially is shutting down your day. Instead of people that are grazing and nibbling and, and mm -hmm. snacking like for 20 hours of the day, it's shutting it down to an eight hour period. You end up eating less. Mm -hmm. And you also, most people are eating, let's say either from 10 to six or 11 to seven, because that's the most realistic um, way to manage it. So you're not eating at night. And if you're not eating at night, that's a big deal because that's where most people get into trouble. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Please tell me more about that. That's my problem. <laughs> the night eating, that's where most of us get into trouble is the night mm -hmm. and Shabbos. And whatever we're eating at night, if you ate properly, first of all, if you ate properly all day long, you should not be hungry. If you slept properly, which we'll, we'll talk about sleep and, and you mm -hmm. ate properly all day, you shouldn't be hungry at night. It's not hunger that's driving you to snack. It's boredom, nudginess, mm -hmm. and stress and emotional eating and other and everything else but hunger that's really mm -hmm. driving you. And then whatever we are eating at night, your body's not really utilizing it. It's, it's slowing itself down over the course of the day. It's really kind of hoarding whatever you're eating at night. It's just sticking to you, not burning it off. You're typically not as active. Right. Um, so it's just kind of sitting on you. So the, le the less you eat at night, the better off everyone is. And that's, um, and that's, you know, that's where people really get into trouble. So I, I advise people just get out of the kitchen at night mm -hmm. or, you know, nothing good can come out of being at the, in the kitchen at night. Sometimes you'll just eat something because you see it because they've done studies when cookies are in a, on a, in a clear cookie jar on the counter, your people will eat more of them mm -hmm. than if they were in an opaque cookie jar. Because when you see it, it's a visual thing. When you see it, you want to, you feel like you have to eat it. Right. It's not, it's not hunger. It's, it's, it's something else. And, but if they're put away in a pantry, then you won't eat as much. So it's, you know, get out of the kitchen, brush and floss your teeth after dinner. And that'll be like an, it'll inhibit you or be a deterrent to eating, to eating any more after dinner. Those are, you know, some of my common tips for people to curb that, that night snacking. Right. But even more, I do want to say that when you're sleep deprived, that adds a whole other layer. And if you want to talk about that, or you want me to just say right. something? No, no, you could, yeah, you could talk about it. Right. So from the medical perspective, and I think this is something that we've learned relatively recently. Um, I unfortunately learned it as a human being. Right. <laughs> it's my big problem. I'm, I'm a night person and I stay up too late. Um, even if I don't eat that much at night, um, unfortunately, um, it, it, it can lead to weight gain because what happens is it's actually the hormones that um, regulate your appetite mm -hmm. change in regard mm -hmm. to how much sleep you have, that there's a, a hormone called leptin mm -hmm. and a hormone go, and I'm not sure how it's pronounced, ghrelin or something like that, G-H-R-E-L-I-N. And actually the, the leptin will go down if you have not enough sleep. And that's one that actually lowers your appetite and lowers your hunger and mm -hmm. increases how much energy you use. And the unpronounceable ghrelin thing, I think that's how you pronounce it, um, actually goes up 
with little sleep and increases your hunger. So you right. are actually priming yourself to eat more that night and the next day. Right. When you're not right. sleeping enough. So good luck to all of us. We really right. have to try right. to get so more then, sleep. You know, I mean, the, the recommended to get at least seven hours of sleep. But yes, I'm, I'm, I'm just as guilty as you. Mm -hmm with the sleep department. So, but it definitely will, you will be hungrier. Um, also, I feel that people feel weaker and are lacking energy when they're right. sleep deprived. So where else are you going to get en energy from when you're up and you cannot take a nap? You're going to get it from your food. It'll give you, you know, something sugary will give you like a burst of energy, you know, just for temporarily, of course, and then you crash. Right. As you're but, cleaning your kitchen, you should have left hours ago. <laughs> exactly. Right. Um, also, I wanted to talk about Shabbos and the Chagim. Right. Okay. So Shabbos is 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 here every week, thank God. But we have to learn how to navigate through Shabbos. And Shabbos is never going to look like a Monday or Tuesday. It's just not. And we have to just embrace it and learn how to get through it and manage it. Mm -hmm. um, I have had some big guys that when they first come to me, they tell me that they're gaining 10 pounds in that 24-hour period of Shabbos. It's from the challah, which by the way, challah is exactly like cake. Mm -hmm. um, it's from the chalent and the potato kugel and the, and the cake. And um, it's not a great way to eat. And the portions as well, not just the, the, the food that we're eating or the kinds of food we're having on Shabbos, but also the portions, you know, that we feel like we need a five-course uh, meal at every meal. And then of course, we're better during the week, and then we usually lose the Shabbos waking. Most people, this is how they maintain. They're gaining some, some, you know, a few pounds over Shabbos, losing it during the week by Thursday, Friday, gaining it back. It's okay to do this if you're maintaining, and it's all right if the fluctuation is only a few pounds. It's not healthy if it's 10 pounds. That's, again, that's almost like a yo-yo. That's a little right. bit too wide of a fluctuation. It's not good for the body um, or the, you know, the whole GI system. and and basically, you know, you want to try to manage the Shabbos meals with moderation. Like you want to be able to enjoy Shabbos and to enjoy, let's say, the potato kugel or the challenge or whatever it is, but in very small portions. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, you would try to keep it and minimize the weight gain to just, a, let's say, a couple of pounds if you're, if you're manage the portions. And a good tip that I recommend is to make it a one plate meal. Mm -hmm. So therefore you should be able to you envision your dinner plate. You should be able to put all of your food onto one plate. If you cannot fit all of your food onto one plate, that means you're taking too much food. And so, that means not coming back for that second plate. <laughs> right. Don't come back for unless you're hungry. You only go back for seconds if you're if there's hunger, not because it's it's there in front of you. And that's another thing. We go out, you know, Shabbos meals, you go out, you're a guest by other people's homes. And there are almost always good choices. There's usually some kind of chicken, and there's it's usually not just something that's breaded and fried like mm -hmm. schnitzel and chalent. Usually there are some other options, some other protein options, some kind of a vegetable, some kind of a salad. I'm not saying that the salad is perfect. I know right. that we don't know what kind of dressing and what's exactly in the salad. You're still better off with salad than with cocoa, mm -hmm. honestly. But you want to you, want, you don't need to eat everything on the table. That's A, just because it's there doesn't mean you have to eat it. And B, you know, pick what you want the most. You know, we have to always make choices in life. So you know, choose what you really want to treat yourself to and just take a small portion of it. And you could, by the way, decide if there's nothing really there that's healthy enough, 
you could decide to have a very small amounts and go home and eat a big salad yeah, at home. I always, you know? And I tell people what I do, I never eat at a kiddish. I will never rely on anyone to feed me. So I always have Shabbos lunch prepared and ready at home. Like I'll go to the kiddish, you know, for whatever, right. the simcha, whatever, social, right. up, you know, I say, and why do we have to eat at a kiddish? Besides that, you don't realize how much you're eating when you're standing up. That's a whole right. other story. It's called blindly grazing. It doesn't register in our brain. When you're standing up, you don't realize how much you're consuming. You feel like you had nothing when you could have had a thousand calories. But um, besides that, why do you have to enjoy? People say, oh, well, what is there to do? You can, you can enjoy an activity without food being a part of the activity. Like you can enjoy seeing people that you haven't seen all week or catching up with this one or that one without food doesn't have to be the main part of the activity. Right. And you um, could also say there's something, is there something here that's really worth it? <laughs> if there's something that, oh my, you know, that you really want then take, you know, then try it, taste it, have a few bites of it, whatever it is. But, um, but you really need to sit and eat your meals. You should not be eating standing up. Mm-hmm. So that makes that's, sense. Uh, yeah, that's, so that's important. But you just have to, we have to realize that Shabbos and, of course, the Chagim um, are going to be off. And, um, but it's important to try to do things in moderation. And then as soon as it's over, you know, Sunday morning or the day after a Yantif, you get yourself like right back on. You know, you've got to, you've got to, and it's good for you to weigh yourself, of course. That's to say, right. How often? I, but I, I recommend everyone has nothing to do with you're on a diet or you're not on a diet. Everyone should weigh themselves once a week mm-hmm. just, to, just to keep track of the scale. I'm not, you don't need to obsess over the number, but if someone is gaining weight or losing weight rapidly, then, then it has to be addressed. It's just good to see what's happening. And that's the best tool for you to monitor mm-hmm. yourself with is the scale. It's not a hundred percent accurate. The scale can lie to you sometimes. I always tell people the inches are the inches and the inches will never lie. The scale will sometimes lie. It'll lie. If you're constipated, it inflates Mm -hmm. the number on the scale. If you're on antibiotics, I see it inflates the number. If you're on anti-inflammatories, it'll inflate the number. If you're menstruating, all kinds of things will, if you're, if you started exercising Mm -hmm. and you're building muscle, muscle weighs more than fat. It will throw, you might see you're gaining on the scale. You started exercising and here you thought you'd lose weight and here you see it's going up a little bit, but you see that your clothing is fitting a little bit better. That's because you're losing fat and you're changing to muscle, but the inches are, so don't obsess over the number. Right. You know, you have to understand where it's coming from. You, you're not going to gain 20 pounds of muscle. Right. Saying if it's up, you know, a couple of pounds. Okay. It's all muscle. <laughs> it's all muscle. No, but it's and good people, to be and moderate. Have, and some people have also... Um, bigger and heavier frames than others. They're just bigger. It's not a, a myth to be bigger boned. It's true. I see it all the time. So don't obsess over the number. Just monitor where you're going with that number. You know, on that note of moderation, I'm also thinking about this concept of the healthy at any size movement. I find it so frustrating because there's got to be a middle ground between saying, okay, sweetie, it doesn't matter. Whatever size you are, you're just perfect the way you are. And being so obsessed with ideal body types. Right. Right. So it has to, you know, you need to feel comfortable. The person, I never push a number on anyone when they come to me, let's say for weight loss, Mm. I'll ask, 
what was your lowest in the last 10 years? You know, it's not, you know, if someone is 60 years old, it's not realistic for us to say, oh, let's, you know, I could get you back down to what you were when you were 18. It's not, you know, right. it's a different person. So what, what was your lowest? What would you like to set as your goal? Sometimes when someone has a lot of weight to lose, you know, we'll set smaller goals. We'll say, let's, you know, lose 20 pounds and see. But it there, I mean, there is, there is a range. There's usually a range. There's a textbook number, you know, for people for height and weight. And then there's a range because it has to, you have to um, accommodate for the different size frames, but but at some point it's not you know. But then when someone is over the range, then it it's not healthy anymore. So it's not you know. I think that it, you shouldn't be someone shouldn't be locked into the textbook number. But there's just so much um, you know of a range that you can allow, and then just at some point it has to be. It's this is not a healthy weight for you. Exactly. You know we have to discuss it. So, um, yeah, that's, uh, you know, it's just, you, I wouldn't obsess with the number, but if something is not healthy, then you have to discuss health. And obviously something is, is going off, either it's hormonal or, or they're not eating properly or their portions are too big. That could be too. Sometimes people are eating healthy, but just way too much. Mm -hmm. I see that as well. Like, especially if you eat too much, <laughs> even if it's healthy, there's such a thing as too much healthy right. food. There's sometimes, you know what, you know, too much of anything is not healthy. Right. Too much, if someone drinks way too much water, that's also not healthy. Then they're right. overhydrating themselves and they're diluting the, the electrolytes in the system. So, right. you know, too much of even water could be too much. Right. Which is, again, you know, I love your, your moderate approach. It's really, to me, what I think is, is the right way. And, it, you know, the details will vary with different people. Um, I just want to ask you one more thing because I really appreciate sure. your time. Um, what, how would you help someone talk to a family member um, or is it ever something they could even do um, about having a healthier diet or losing weight? It's a really hard question. I'm sorry. <laughs> No, no, rephrase that again for me. I'm sorry. How would you approach, like say someone's listening to this and they're saying, I, my husband or my child, or um, I really want them to eat healthier. They're, they're not choosing to. Because again, if we say that they're, we're not going to buy this health in any size, you know, movement. Right. So we do have to talk about it. What are, maybe you have some tips about how we could broach the topic, how we could do it in a sensitive way so that, they might hear us. I mean, you can't tell oh, it someone. Would be different. It would be different for a child than it would be for a spouse. Mm -hmm. Because the children also, you don't want them to have an unhealthy relationship with food. You don't want mm -hmm. them to feel like 100%. they're being watched and, you know, that it's a bad thing that they're doing. Um, they shouldn't feel guilty about it. I would say, I've, I've spoken to many mothers, especially of younger children, and they, they have to change the household a little bit. They have to, mm. you know, eat cleaner, you know, get rid of the sugar and the process, you know, mostly, you know, you got to, you have to give children, you know, something, some kind of treats, but to get rid of a lot of the, the snacking and the sugary and the processed foods, um, to, to also plate the food, because I was raised that way. My mother plated our dinners, which nobody does anymore. Nobody does that. Nobody does it. And it, she raised us super healthy. My mother's a Holocaust survivor and you would think, you know, like, why would she, she was always so interested in nutrition. Really? She plated our food, even our salad. We always had protein and vegetables and salad. And none of us ever thought to ask for a second piece of chicken, ever. Like you ate what was on your plate, 
And that was it. And then you left the kitchen and you went about your business. Like nobody asked for more. You ate your food and that was it. Um, so that's like, you know, a lot of people, I, a lot of my clients have started doing that with their kids. Like the plate, then they'll plate for everyone. You know, you're not going to single out just the, you know, the, let's say the child that, that the heavier child, you're going to plate the food for everyone. And, and it's just help, you know, it's teaching them portion control. Mm-hmm. Because again, if it's on platters, like in front of them on the table, so often people are taking second or thirds just because it's there in front of them, right. not necessarily because they're hungry for it. Um, I mean, if so, and you really want the child to kind of, you know, approach you. I mean, it depends on the age of the child. I would say a teenager, you really want to hear it from them first and not, uh, you know, so it's, you might want to involve a therapist in that, or certainly, you know, the doctor, the physician should first be uh, consulted. Um, in terms of a spouse, you know, I would say, you know, oh, I just heard this podcast, you know, with this nutritionist, you know, s- sounds like so interesting. Would you be interested or something like that? Or maybe we should, or maybe we should go together. You know, I have a lot of couples that will come to me together and it happens to be great when they have that support, when they're a team and they're on the same page. Maybe we should, you know, try to eat a little bit healthier together. Again, not focus on the number, but more on the health. Right. And you're also deflecting. What I love about this is in both cases, the child and the spouse, the adult, you're deflecting attention. It's not you saying it. It's not making them feel that you're telling them what to do. Right. But I do find that children, like if if you teach them young to eat healthy, they're happy to do it. They, you know, they, if it's there, if it's available for them, they'll eat. It's not like they won't eat the healthy food. They're happy to eat it if it's there and available for them. You know, I always tell people when my kids were little and I have only boys, of course I would have to put, you know, I'd have play dates on a Shabbos afternoon. Of course I have to put out, you know, food for them for like a Shabbos party. Mm-hmm. I always had a big bowl of cut up fruit. I always put some kind of a pretzel or chip or something like that and some kind of a cookie or cake. The fruit always went. I'm not telling you that they didn't eat some of the other stuff, but if the fruit was cut up and ready for them, they were happy to eat it. So if it's there and available, they'll eat it. Yeah, but some children will always eat, you know, more than others. And that, you know, right. that may be, that may be a difficult situation, but you also pointed out that you shouldn't just focus on that one child, that the whole family, right, the whole family should yeah. be eating healthier. So I have to say thank you so much. Gave me so much information for everybody. And I hope um, people learn a lot from this to eat healthier. And thank you so much. I'm going to repeat just one more time your information. Um, the website is alizabeer.com, A-L-I-Z-A-B-E-E-R.com. It's also alizabeer at gmail.com. And the phone number is 516 516- Nine eight four three 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 three, and thank you so oh, much. Thank you so much. It's been a real pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Thanks for listening to the Jomo Preventative Health Podcast. If you've enjoyed this, please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and share this with your friends. For more information, check out our Instagram at Joma underscore org. Check out our website, www.joma.org, that's J-O-W-M-A, .org, or email us at health at joma.org.